1: Brought to you by johnnytshirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear.
2: I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Inside Carolina Podcast, sponsored by johnnytshirt.com, the day after podcast with Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. Buck, I'm going to bring you in first. Not sure Carolina football could do anything differently or anything better than they did on Saturday other than win that football game. Your take on what transpired in Keenan stadium yesterday.
0: I agree, Tommy and kudos to you for really working hard on asking me a question this week uh, <laughs> to lead off this podcast. Uh, for those that don't know, we had to start the podcast over cause Tommy wanted to be sure to ask me a question. So I wouldn't call him out. So <laughs> uh, I'm not calling him out. So uh, I do still have just to edit kudos. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, there, there was just, uh, first of all, let's just say maya culpa, all of us at IC, uh, for, you know, I totally expected this game to be, you know, at least a double-digit win, three-touchdown win, even if North Carolina covered. Uh, I, I went ahead into the game thinking, wow, if North Carolina can cover the point spread of 27 on this game, that'd be pretty awesome and encouraging for, you know, down the road. But it's difficult to come out of this game, even though it was a one-point loss, without the feeling that if they can get the same effort, the same game plan, or a game plan geared for the opponent, which is, we'll get into that, because that is exactly what happened yesterday. The game plan that they put out on the field was specifically geared to play in this team. If they can do that moving forward and get the same effort out of the players, there's absolutely no game remaining on the schedule that UNC can't win. Will they win them all from here on out? Probably not. They might stub their toe along the way somewhere. But if they can get that same sort of effort across the board from the coaches in their game planning, the players in practice uh, obviously did a great job. Mack Brown praised them all week for how they practiced. And how they delivered on the field, but there's just no reason why UNC can't beat everyone else on their schedule. So uh, there's just a tremendous effort of players. Nobody should be hanging their heads. And and I would say the response uh, on our message boards have been overwhelmingly positive. It's it's probably been the best response I've ever seen. Following any loss. Uh, so that says a lot because our guys are on the Torpit Premium message board, which, if you're not an IC subscriber, you should be one. Uh, th- the overwhelming response was positive. So um, that, there's not much more that I can say about that uh, than I just did, Tommy. But thanks again for asking me
2: a question. <laughs> as far as the predictions, we are rounding in the form. Uh, here in the season, as in, we 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 are getting our level of suck up as we get deeper into this season. I had it fifty-two to twenty Clemson. Jason, um, none of us had it close. Goes to speak to uh, the volumes that Mac Brown and his staff and these players have bought into Mac's philosophy, the coaching staff's philosophy, and realizing that. When there's an opportunity at hand, you have to take it. They don't give it to you. Two weeks, last two, three weeks ago, uh, Carolina had opportunity to start the season really well and did so and then stubbed their toe, to use Buck's toe, uh, terms, and then they come in against Clemson that nobody, except maybe the guys in the locker room, gave them a shot to even be close in. And they do what they did on Saturday, Jason. How did that happen?
1: Well, correction, we did talk about they had a chance to keep it close. I mean, we on our on our preview episode, we talked about if they do this, this, and this, and Clemson does this, then they got a chance even to win and, and be close. So, so we 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 haven't dialed up the level of suck quite yet, but we're, we're we're working on it. But so we gave them we 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 talked about how there was that outside chance of if you if you're able to do these few things and Clemson does this, then yeah, you can win the ball game even, but none of us really expected them to be able to do that, especially given some of the issues of the past of the, of the prior couple weeks. But I mean, the first thing is this, this coach, the Carolina coaching staff, they, I mean, they coached Ramsey's nuts off. I mean, they really, uh, they just did an amazing job of putting together, like you said, a, Uh, the right plan for this particular team for this particular matchup and we talked in the in the pregame episode and and, in on the uh chl segments in the in the pregame in the pregame uh radio show about how clemson is not as strong up front this year as they have been and if carolina wanted to to uh to stay competitive in this game then they'd need to take advantage of of Clemson's softer defensive tackles than they've had in recent years, and and be able to to get that interior three on the, uh, in particular on the uh, offensive line. They needed to get some wins on the inside so that they could run the football. In we, we talked about it. if they could run the football a little bit, slow this game down, make it into a a, a shorter game in terms of number of drives. You know, give themselves some opportunities uh, to hit play action. You know, maybe get one, one or two explosive plays on a vertical route against single coverage because Clemson's going to come at you with single coverage. Maybe you get a big play here or there because you know Howell throws a good deep ball. If you can do that, then you can slow that game down, keep it, keep it a little closer, and then hope for maybe a turnover or two that that give you a chance from Clemson's side and and. You're 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 in business. Well, check, 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 and check. I mean, they did everything you could do. They pulled every lever lever you could pull as a coaching staff to win this game and to demonstrate to the players that look, we know what we're doing. And the players completely bought into it, executed what they were supposed to do, and did it against one of the best teams in the country. Now I do think that Clemson showed that especially up front on the defense they're not as strong as they've been, and you know this is something that the Clemson coaching staff had told me a while back. They had said very clearly, you know we're going to have to survive the first part of the season in particular because we're just not as strong as we were last year, and especially up front we're going to have to get we're going to have to figure some things out well that much that much is obvious, but that doesn't take away from Carolina who has all these guys out and, you know, heck playing with, with his hand wrapped up. And we talked on the, on the, on the pregame podcast of of how difficult that is for, for a tackle and those guys coming out and playing, playing like men playing, you know, playing quality football and taking it right to the places where Clemson does have some weakness. And you know that, that Carolina team that played last night played like a you know top twenty, top fifteen team. You look at you look at the at the stats. Clemson averaged four point zero yards per rush. This is inclusive of of sacks. North Carolina, four point one. Overall yards per play, Clemson five point four. North Carolina four point six. Now four point six ain't great, but neither's five point four for Clemson. So and then you know forcing that one turnover that that is they played some football against a team that knows how to win and against a program that has ha, you realize that Clemson had not trailed in the fourth quarter I think actually they hadn't trailed in the second half since Syracuse last year and before that they hadn't trailed since 2018 so i mean this this carolina team did some things in this game that that that's been a dominant clemson team and you know you got to tip your hat to the to especially to the carolina coaching staff for again identifying ways to get those things done recognizing where clemson was a little bit softer than they've been and taking it right to them in those spots, and and not exposing their your own weaknesses at the in, in the uh, in so doing, uh, that it's just a really really good job of the Carolina coaching staff and players to to get in a position to win the game. And like you said, I don't have a problem with going for two there. Uh, I, I you know I, I think that's a, a situation where again. With a deep against a deeper team, against a team that just finally uh scored against your defense and had been showing some signs of moving the football a little bit more toward the end of the game. Maybe, maybe you don't want to go into into overtime there. But I do I do think we could quibble with the play call a little bit, just because, like you said, they'd run it a little bit before. And I think Clemson uh even said uh post game that they were they were thinking uh venables venables on during the timeout said uh let's be ready for for speed option well you know at that point that tells you something and you know i i I was thinking maybe they had a a specific uh play dialed up like they'd had in prior games where they had a a little bit of trickery for their two-point conversions and so on i thought maybe they'd try something maybe they had something special but uh that's my only quibble there other than that i think they they coached as good a game as as you could coach and this was a way in front of this is the biggest recruiting weekend for North Carolina all season you got late night with Roy bringing all those football guys in to see that and see how see what a Carolina crowd can look like for basketball and then they get to see that against Clemson with a couple of five stars in attendance and with all that talent that they brought in the heck of a showcase for, for Tar Heel football. And, and, and again, it's a way of, of, of drawing a line in the sand and saying, Hey, we're going to be competitive with Clemson. We're going to be where they're going to be. You need to join the party and just give us a couple years. And we know where we're going. That, that that's, it's a statement game, even though they did not win the game, every one of those recruits is going to walk, is going to go back. Like, man, Carolina, you know, I might, I might, I might want to join in there. There's playing time right away and we're going to compete. That's can't ask for much more other than, I mean, the only thing more you can ask for is to win the dang game.
2: Yeah. It's funny. I was walking out of Kenan stadium yesterday and I get a text from a guy who probably would be admittedly being a specific sport. Number one follower at Carolina and Is blowing me up about can't believe they didn't kick the extra point. You got to go to overtime. Your defense has been stopping them. And I'm like, dude, uh, you got three yards to beat the number one team. And Buck, you give me three yards to beat the number one team in the country and one run, one run, one play. I'll take it. We don't even have to play the whole game. I'll just take (laughs) three yards and one play and we can get out of there early. Uh, your thoughts on going for two. I thought it was the right decision. Uh, I even saw Ryan Switzer on Twitter saying, man, you got a minute and 17 seconds. You go for two and get it. They've still got plenty of time to kick a field goal to win. Well, they've got that two if it's 21 all, and then they have no pressure of losing if they don't get that field goal at the end. But I, I just don't know how anybody could quibble at all with the decision to go for two, like Jason said, play call, eh. but to go for it. That's the type of team Carolina needs to be. That's the type of team that Mac Brown wants them to be. And I don't see how anybody could be upset about it. Well, at that point in the game, Tommy,
0: they've got one chance to take the lead. Now they could tie the game, but as you say, it's a different scenario If you leave that possession with the lead, then if you leave it tied, if you leave it tied, Clemson's not sweating it. They can say, okay, well, we'll just take some shots downfield, try to get in field goal range and win it. Or they could say, and along with that thought, they could say, well, if we take some shots and we don't uh, get a field goal, if we don't score at all, hey, we'll whip them in overtime. And, you know, if you look at uh, the stat sheet, and this is a particular way of looking at it, but when it comes to statistics, they only mention your name in the defensive statistics if you have a statistic to record, uh, tackle, uh, recovery, or whatever. You got at least scratch to get mentioned. Well, North Carolina had 15 guys Uh, to record a defensive statistic. Clemson had 20. That's a deeper team, uh, a a team that could go to a couple of overtimes and not be worn out, not be exhausted. And so to ask North Carolina's defense at that point to try to stop that Clemson offense, which is really – at that point, not got a lot of skin in the game. They don't have to score to win this game. They just need to get overtime, and then they'll uh, have yet another chance to win. So you're absolutely right. Going for two was the only call there, in my opinion, uh, given the uh, circumstances of the game. But I think we've already probably plucked all the feathers off that turkey, and. What led up to that uh, two-point conversion I think is way more important than uh, that that decision or the play call or any of that. How they got to that position, in my opinion, is the bigger takeaway from this game.
2: Indeed. Let me talk about shirt.com and on Franklin Street right fast before we dig into that aspect of it. Johnny T-shirt, of course, great sponsor of this podcast, great sponsor of Inside Carolina. Premium subscribers get that 10% benefit. If you're on our message boards, you can get that code and use it, and you can buy the Return of the Mac shirt. Uh, I think yesterday proves that that is indeed um, what's going on in Chapel Hill. Saw several of those shirts down in the Bowls lot. Of course, Johnny T-shirt provided some swag for our Folks that joined the pregame tailgate show, the countdown to kickoff show, we had down there with Ron Stutz and CHL, com. Of course, you can go there right a second and get whatever you need for Carolina. Of course, basketball is getting in full swing with late night with, Rory, with Roy struggling to talk today on Friday night, and you can get all that kind of swag, anything you need Carolina related Johnny t-shirt on Franklin Street great place to visit and Johnny t-shirt online makes it simple to get whatever Jason in the pregame show um, that we recorded last Thursday I talked about Carolina needing to play hide the ball or whatever I however I used it and what I meant and you sort of mentioned it in your opening is that you need to slow the game down and while The opponent gets a possession every time you get a possession. You need to make sure that the opponent has it less. Carolina won the time of possession, which is not that huge a deal um, in the grand scheme of things. But the fact, and especially on that last drive, how they slowed the game down, they huddled more than I've really seen them huddle all year, probably in the last eight years. Uh, I just thought that, like we've talked about, the game plan – especially on the defensive side, but on the offensive side, was brilliant for Carolina. Um, And and that's what I take away from that. The coaches 100% put the players in a position to be able to win this game, and it was one play. But your thoughts on that aspect of it. Buck talks about certainly the lead-up. I think that was a big part of the lead-up to having that opportunity late.
1: Yeah, it absolutely was. I mean, you look at this, we we talked we all talked about that that you want to limit the total number of drives in this game to to give yourself the opportunity. We talked about how if you're if you're in a casino, you want to make your money early and then and then get out cuz the longer you play, the more 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 the the odds that are tipped toward the house eventually that's going to come around and you're going to lose it. Well, Carolina understood that. They slowed it down. There were only 12 drives in this game for each team which is a little less than normal i mean uh you look at last night's nc state florida state game florida state had 15 drives that's that's another quarter of action at the pace that north carolina played this game that that matters <laughs> you give clemson three more drives and maybe they figure a couple more things out and you know they they found a way to squeeze as much as they could out of their own offense in terms of of what they were facing against Clemson. And there were times up in the booth, uh, looking at looking down at they had some play calls that were really good play calls. And frankly, Clemson just defensively was that good. It's like, oh man, they had they had a chance there. I remember turning around a couple times with uh and, and looking at Greg Barnes going, man, you know it's a good call. You had your one-on-one that you wanted. And, you know, there's one in particular I was thinking about a great call set up, had protection. Sam Howell goes to look at the one-on-one matchup and the outside receiver is eight yards off the ball still and hasn't gotten off the jam. The corner just completely still is jamming him. And it's one of those like, well, Sometimes, you know, the 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 coverage is that good. And there were a number of those. But even with how good Clemson was personnel-wise at those points, there were a number of places where it's like, "Oh, there you know, you could see that first that first long play. Diami Brown is signaling in, he's pointing out, I got single, I got single coverage. And I could see it from the booth. This is this is he's got no safety help and he's trying to point out I got no safety help. And Howell identifies that, and they had a little double move with that particular coverage. They were they were in in man there, and it was not heavy heavy press. So you've got a chance to make your little move. That's something they identified on that corner. I can promise you that uh, he's gonna he's gonna get aggressive early on, and it was a really subtle move. Is actually uh, uh, one of the favorite moves I learned early on in college that all you need to do is vary your speed just a little bit and i remember listening to uh to carolina during the spring to the the coaching staff they're talking to the receivers about learning to vary your speed a little bit that that's co- that's something they coach and again that's attention to detail on little things like that 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 results in a long touchdown and so you know you, you you're you're prepared to that level on that side, but really, to me, the place where this game the, the, the place that, that, that this game was kept competitive was obviously on the defensive side. And you know, ba- you couldn't ask for a better defensive performance from North Carolina than what Jay Bateman and that defense gave against, listen, we can talk about how Clemson has some some softness on the defense, particularly up front, that they've not had in the last couple of years. We can talk about that, that, you know, well, you know, they showed some more weakness there, but that Clemson offense, (laughs) you know, they are, they've got a quality offensive line, one of the best running backs in the country. uh, And then that group of wide receivers that we talked about all week as they're just terrifying and their quarterback by a freaking elf. And you go in and you hold that team to 21 points. Really and the what what he did and we talked about it a little bit in the in the pregame of what do you do well my thought is you bring five a lot on first down and you stick with fire zone which is your cover three on bringing five pressure and then stick with palms which is your cover two we talked about that in the uh, in the CHL pregame your cover two match and try to do some things up front using uh, using some stemming of your offensive or of your defensive line use some stunts and so on to try to create some confusion and then try to create your one-on-ones for your for Crawford and Strobridge if you think you've got a guy that they can that they can win against they they did all that and more and executed it perfectly And, and one of the things I wanted to highlight is how well they managed to keep Clemson keep both Clemson's offensive line and Clemson's coordinators off balance so Clemson you look at what they did they had uh they had four motion penalties four, uh four false starts in the second half I think they had five or six for the game and when you start looking at that the reason for that is that Clemson is is that Carolina kept doing little little movements, little stems and little things like that before the snap. And that stuff was was really given particularly Jackson Carmen the left tackle for for Clemson. But they were getting they were having all sorts of trouble cuz they're looking at that and then a couple guys move and then all of a sudden you fall start. And this is something Bud Foster at 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 uh Virginia Tech has done for years and it's so frustrating to play against for an offensive line because they all move and as an offensive lineman you're responding to their movement and but they're just moving horizontally you know into a different gap or you know just a, just a little stem just a little movement and all of a sudden it's a problem and then some of the some of the little blitzes and stunts and and all of this you've got your your assignments set you recognize okay they're all in these gaps that's where we're going to block and then all of a sudden they're in different gaps and this is what we talked about all off season about what Bateman does to make it tough on offenses. The whole panoply of 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 uh, of tricks was was there defensively up front. All the stuff and more that that we talked about in in the video series I did for Inside Carolina over the summer. He did it all against against Clemson, and they struggled up front to really get a handle on where those guys were going to be and it's really hard to do that because first of all you you and this is where I have to tip the cap to Brian Hess as well uh, a, a friend of mine is a very good defensive coordinator coach some in college now he's coaching at the high school level uh and we were talking about this he was like man Bateman last night or Bateman today he's like I, I'm so I, I continue I'm continue to be so impressed by him and he goes but all that stemming before the before before the snap with that defensive line, that stemming's great, but you got to be in great You got to have your, your defensive line has got to be in great shape to be able to do it because that extra movement just, it, it, it's that much more taxing on your guys because you have to do it at just the right time. The attention to de- you have to be in great shape. And that, again, that goes back to Hess and what they've been able to do off the field in terms of strength and conditioning to be able to execute what Bateman wanted to do there. And then coverage-wise, you know, he, he actually used less fire zone than I thought he'd use, but, he, but they, they played the whole game basically in Palms, which is a match cover too. So keep the safeties over top so that you've got help, regardless of where they're at, on the outside, so focus on keeping those outside receivers from winning verticals and if they if they run verticals then in that match cover 2 your your corners can kind of stay over top of them a little bit it turns almost into a quarters type thing but you still got safety help over the top and what they were able to do is get this is where clemson's uh clemson's offensive coaching staff got out coached in this game they got impatient when they weren't able to get some of those big plays early and when they were not running running the ball for seven, eight, nine yards per carry like they're used to, they, especially in the, in the second half, they abandoned the run effectively. They didn't completely abandon it, but they didn't stick with it. They, I thought the elf was starting to rat trap mentally. He was not really seeing what, what he needed to see, and they got impatient. Coordinators and the, and the quarterback got impatient, and it's because Bateman started getting them frustrated that defense was able to keep things in front of them in terms of coverage and then was able to cause enough problems up front that they started getting frustrated and they started going for, for big plays. And there were a number of plays where the Elf just misread it because you had a dig coming open from one side. That's the side you should be reading. The, I, particularly the, the play where, uh, uh, the, the, where Surratt broke it, broke it up, uh, took the ball off his hand is a great example of this he should have gotten rid of the ball about a half a second earlier to the dig route coming from the left side which was open that's the proper read there but he's going for a deep ball on the right side because this is where they're so used to just having success and being able to throw it up and win those matchups that he he's trying to take another shot he's he's getting impatient and they've got those verticals on that side. And I can tell you right now, even if that ball hadn't been broken up off his hand, that was so well covered on that outside, it would have had to be an unbelievable, I mean, I don't put it out of the question of the of the throw and the catch there, but it would have had to be a great throw and catch to win because Carolina had the coverage there. But repeatedly, they kept get, baiting them into throwing deep into coverage that was designed not to allow deep stuff. And you have to hand it to them that of getting Clemson out of their comfort zone and forcing them to get impatient and ultimately that combination Clemson getting a little impatient and Bateman and, and Carolina sticking to the game plan is why that game stayed so close and why Carolina was in position to win it
2: but one name that Jason mentioned there that we have to talk about is Chas Surratt I mean I turned to my son during the game and said that kid is playing a hell of a game. An unbelievable game. He got matched up on Higgins there on the long touchdown pass that Clemson had, um, which really is a, a no hope type situation on that. But other than that play, chess Rat played clearly his best game in uniform as a North Carolina football player, period. Some of the pass breakups he had, he had two breakups, three hurries, a sack you know, I, I just – I'm not quite sure folks realize the job that he's done personally, but not only that, the coaching staff has done to coach him up to be able to put an effort like that out against Clemson. Because like Jason said, and like we've said forever, that offensive line for Clemson was confused. There were several times where they'd block nobody and why Carolina's getting heat on Lawrence. But Chas Surratt, and there were some other ones. Alan Cater played unbelievable. But Surratt, player of the game on defense, just, you know, the future is bright for that young man, Buck. Just talk about what you saw from him and your thoughts on how that's all come to be. I just think it's an incredible story.
0: The first thing you talked about there, Tommy, was coaching. And you've totally got to give coaching – it's due in this situation in previous games that North Carolina has played, they've not had the luxury of going vanilla on defense. Every game has been a one score game, win or lose. So there's been no uh, question about whether Bateman was, uh, Hiding something, trying to keep something from being on tape. He didn't have that luxury. He was trying to win ball games, so he had to show everything in his tool bag in those first four games. Yet still, he was able to confuse Clemson and their offensive line and Trevor Lawrence and do all of that and still keep Travis – Uh, at the end under his uh, averages for yards per carry and for yards per game. They managed to do all of that in part because Surratt has embraced totally his new role as a defensive star. Um, And if, if you look at what North Carolina had on defense, and this is just blows my mind to even talk about it. You know, guys getting a lot of snaps in this offense. Tamari Fox, uh, I forget what the snap count was there, but he had a bunch. Uh, true freshman. Cameron Kelly, true freshman. Played until he got knocked out of the game. I hope he's okay, by the way. North Carolina's going to need him back. Storm Duck, another true freshman. Uh, and. Jeremiah Gimmel, first-time starter. Uh, Trey Morrison uh, played some last year, but now he's a full-time starter. Uh, The immense amount, and then Surratt. Then it brings us back to Surratt. Uh, He had not played linebacker since he was in high school, and I don't know that he played very much linebacker when he was high school. Uh, but that's the last time I, I. somebody once said, but I can't remember exactly how long ago it was uh, when Chaz was uh, playing defense. And so this spring, all of a sudden, he, he decides I'm going to be a linebacker. And from the very beginning, when people were talking about Chaz, and, you know, I'm going to confess, when I heard that he was going to become a linebacker, uh, you know, he was making that move from quarterback. I thought to myself, well, that's cute. You know, uh, that's nice that, you know, he's done that and maybe he'll, you know, can get in some games and, you know, contribute in some way. And, uh, but now he's become a defensive star and their best linebacker. Although Gimmel, I thought had a good game too, but, um, from the very beginning when, he made that move to linebacker. All you heard from all the other defensive players was how hard he was working in the weight room, how hard he was working on, you know, at its position, you know, in practice, and he was just, you know, a focused person that, you know, I'm going to, whatever my college football career is left, I'm going to spend it at linebacker and totally bought into that, um, at the same time. Had not Jay Bateman gotten here, I'm not sure it would have worked out all that well, but Bateman has found ways to use his guys in ways that are completely unpredictable for offensive coordinators. They cannot guess. Well, they can guess, but that's all they're doing. And uh, so when they guess wrong, you're going to see Chas Rat come free and knock the ball out of. The quarterback's hands. You're going to see him, uh, you know, deflect passes. You're going to see him get sacks and tackles for loss. And so I think this that combination of coaching and, you know, from a play calling aspect, uh, Tommy Thigpen's, uh you know, devotion to, you know, getting his guys ready to play and teaching them proper technique, that sort of thing. And Surratt's own uh, massive personal uh, dedication to his new role. So you combine all those things, and maybe we shouldn't be surprised by it, but somehow I still am. I'm still pinching myself uh, to some extent, thinking about how well Surratt has done uh, making the transition from quarterback to linebacker. is almost an unheard of thing to do in college football.
2: It is impressive performance by that young man. We're going to take a short break. Come back. I got some more questions for Jason Staples because I do not think uh, what we're going to discuss after the break can be understated. We'll be right back.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.
2: Okay, you're listening to the Inside Carolina Podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, Tommy Ashley, Buck Sanders, and Jason Staples with you. Jason, a couple things. One, you know, Carolina's banged up on defense, but the guys are out there. Jason Strowbridge has has been banged up, uh, but he played pretty much the entire game. But one thing that I noticed in the fourth quarter, and I'm not sure many people – Listening did, of course, if you read the message boards, by now you've seen it, but the way Bateman and that staff shuttled those guys in and out late. Um, they'd play the younger guys on the front, Tamari Fox and those guys, and then on third down they'd shuffle in Aaron Crawford and Strobridge. And I just thought it was a fascinating chess match that was going on there to be able to not only scheme the defense like they had to do to have success against Clemson, but to also have – the players on the field, the correct players on the field to accomplish what they were trying to do against Clemson, and but for that one play where Clemson offensive coordinator got one over on Carolina, I thought just the the entirety of the game plan, but of the substitution patterns, I thought it was fascinating to watch. I thought it was brilliant by the Carolina coaching staff.
1: Yeah, they did. A, they did a tremendous job of subbing where it's not going to hurt you the most. And again, they, they had a very good sense. It was, it was obvious that they had a strong sense of what Clemson's tendencies were in, in this offense with what they like to do. And they made Clemson play left-handed. And Clemson showed that they, they don't dribble as well with their left hand as maybe they should. And uh, they certainly didn't shoot the ball real well with their left hand in this game. So, you know, they, by putting a guy like Jalil Taylor, who, listen, he's a big boy. <laughs> That's a big dude who, uh who can, who, who can stop the run. You're putting a 300 pounder out there to lean on that, on that offensive line. You're, you're not putting him out there enough that he can hurt you. He got nine plays in this game, but you're putting them out there in, in, in times where they're on, they're in negative territory. So they're not in, they're not on your side of the ball uh, side of the 50. It's a probable rundown or a short pass down. And you're, you're saving your guys that extra snap or two when you're, when you're putting him and Gill out there and Gil had four snaps, but those, those four snaps are all early drive first downs, where you're able to 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 give him an opportunity to occupy a blocker and your your better player, the guy that you're trying to hold back there, Strobridge, is just a little fresher for the second and third plays of that drive and maybe you get that three and out. And the same thing again with using some of those younger players and putting them in position. And you know, I was really impressed. I know, I know uh, Buck mentioned mentioned uh, Cameron Kelly. He played a he played a really really good ball game at safety, and actually, I think him. I don't think he came back after banging his knee up against uh, Crawford's head, but I do think that that the situation that they got in late, where Clemson was able to get him there, I do think that 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 was a probably a factor in the matchups that wound up happening there because, like you said, Clemson. Clemson identified something they broke. I think they broke tendency there and they, they happened to get the matchup that they wanted. Carolina from, from the defensive call I think was expecting that to go to the right side and they were bracketing the right slot receiver and Clemson made a little, little change on where they lined up T Higgins and they got him. They, 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 I think they just happened to, to, to guess right there and got, uh, got the defense in the, in the wrong position. And that's going to happen. That's part of, what happens when you're doing all of the extra stuff to try to to try to smoke and mirrors your way to limiting a super talented offense with a less talented defense and they just did a, a, a phenomenal job of show uh, 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 I mean it was clinic tape on how you defend what Clemson does without having Alabama's horses i mean you look at this is pretty close to the same personnel. A couple players up front are a little bit different, but really similar to the same personnel for Clemson offensively that just destroyed Alabama's defense last year after destroying Notre Dame's defense. and they they struggled. so you got to tip your cap to the uh, to to the defensive staff for finding ways to maximize their personnel. And you know, Buck, you mentioned you weren't sure how many uh, how many snaps Tamari Fox got. He, as as a freshman, he got forty snaps in this game, and and handled them well. But putting guys in positions where they're not they're not likely to fail, where they actually can can give you something uh, that that maximizes your call, and then you can get the experienced guy out there with a little bit more uh, energy. I, I think that was. That was definitely a, an important part of, of how they defended Clemson, and it was one of the reasons that they were able to get off the field on some of those third downs.
2: Incredible effort by that defense. I believe Clemson ran 61 plays. Aaron Crawford had 52 snaps. Strowbridge, 46. Like you, like you mentioned, Tamari Fox, 40. Uh, Chas Surratt, 60 snaps. Uh, look at the defensive backfield. Morrison, Dorn, and Storm Duck played every play. And Cameron Kelly probably would have if he doesn't get banged up. But let me ask you a question before we uh, switch over to looking forward. I know there were a ton of recruits in in the stands and I know Carolina's recruiting has been, you know, on a very steep upward trajectory, but I think the biggest recruit for Mac Brown, and I don't necessarily think it'll be an issue for next season, but I think the biggest recruit for Mac Brown is Jay Bateman. and I we've talked about it before. Um, this game just solidifies it. I mean, Bateman's writing his own checks and I think Carolina needs to write a check to lock him up for whatever the man wants in the off season. Uh, how important is that for Mac Brown's, uh, 2.0 success going forward? Do you think important, really, really important. I
0: mean, if I'm Bubba Cunningham, I'm over it. Uh, Jay Bateman's house last night, <laughs> um, and and saying, "Look, uh, here's the deal. You know, you, you might get an offer you really like to be a head coach somewhere. And if you do, and you like to, you know, the, that situation. Best of luck to you. There's nothing we're not going to try to, uh, you know, block you from an upward trajectory in your career path. But if anybody," I don't care if it's Notre Dame, USC, I don't care who it is, comes to you with an offer, become their next defensive coordinator. You just tell me what it is, and we'll add another zero to that check. (laughs) Uh, Something along those lines. That could get real expensive, Buck. (laughs) Well, whatever. But uh, that's how important I think he is. And I think unless that, you know, weird power three head coaching job offer comes through somewhere. Uh, I think they have a pretty good chance to keep him. If if they're going to match or do better than uh, any other defensive coordinator uh, position, because look, uh, defensive help is on its way. You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, the defensive class they have signed, I probably ought to turn to it really quick. Last time I looked at it, Uh, Like the top three or four uh, highest-ranked commitments they have were all defensive players, and here we go. Uh, Miles Murphy, Kedrick Bingley-Jones, and then you've got Josh Downs, a wide receiver. Then you've got uh, Cameron Roseman-Sinclair. Then you've got uh, Jacarius Conley, all four-star guys, and then Ethan West, another four-star defensive guy. I mean, defensively, help is on the way, and he gets those guys, and he gets them in his scheme with another class or so. Uh, there's no place else he can really go except for maybe Clemson or Alabama, where you know he's going to have more pieces of the puzzle to mess with. Well, you did uh, mention Florida you state, state, did mention Jason. USC. Yeah,
1: and U- yeah well, USC's USC, ha-
0: U- USC is USC is like the team that always is in the top five in recruiting and can't break five hundred hardly. I mean, I don't know what goes on in, in Southern California, but in terms of four and five star busts, that, that, that's a bunch. So, but anyway, and he's recruited most of these players, and he knows what their capabilities are. Uh, and you know, I, I think as long as you are willing, and Bub, as Bubba Cunningham should be, if he's uh, in his right mind, you got to keep Jay Bateman. Now, he he could get a head coaching offer, and you you're not going to match that in all likelihood. But for any defensive coordinator position you just back up the Brinks truck and do what you need to do. You just keep unload bags until you <laughs> hit his number. Uh, so, you know, that's how important I think he is. I mean, uh, what they did to that Clemson offense uh, is almost criminal. I mean, <laughs> uh, that's a weird way of putting it, but. Yeah, you know, they just did not let Clemson's offense get untracked at all. Whatever Clemson tried to do, uh, with you know, a couple of obvious exceptions, they weren't able to do. And uh, I think he is and his press conferences He never says not one negative word about a player. You ask him about any defensive player, oh, yeah, he's doing great. We like him a lot. We think he's going to be a great player. He's relentlessly positive. He builds his guys up, and he puts them in a scheme to succeed. And speaking of recruiting, there are some defensive uh, recruits there yesterday that are undecided. And how can they look at that scheme and say, (laughs) Well, I don't know if I want to play in that or not. You know, I mean, uh, they'll be flocking to Chapel Hill. Um, you give Bateman another year or two working his mad scientist routine. Um, he'll be beating them away with a stick. So, uh, yes, it's, I think, uh, you know, I give you a hard time for ask not asking me questions and asking me how important. Uh, Jay Bateman is to UNC is almost a non question, Tommy. I'm just going (laughs) to throw that out there.
2: uh, It's killing me, man. I I don't think it could be. Well, for a non question, you had like a five plus minute answer. So it must have been a good one somehow. Five minute commentary. Commentary.
1: (laughs) And and Uh, actually, I want to build on that just a little bit because, you know, I, I think Buck is absolutely right that, that not only does Bubba Cunningham have to take that approach uh, in terms of talking to Bateman, this is where, if, if, if you're, if you're a big booster for North Carolina and you really want to see Carolina football be something closer to what Carolina basketball has been, it's time to start uh, assembling a war chest to make sure that you can play some defense against whoever is going to come calling for Bateman to, to be their coordinator. And you know, I, I, I think, and and we've talked about this off air. I think Bateman has no plans of moving on anytime soon. I think he's going to be at Carolina. If I had to guess, I'd say he's at Carolina at least three years, because I I think he's invested in the state of North Carolina. I think he's he he has bought into Mac Brown's vision of the program and making Carolina into a into kind of Clemson North. And he believes that they can do that. And if you believe you can become that, you know exactly what the trajectory of your career is going to be at that point. And, and so th- there's very little reason for him to move on and be looking for another job. And and like like you said, Buck, there's not a whole lot of jobs nationally that are better jobs than North Carolina. We've talked about this before on this podcast as well i mean you 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 facetiously mentioned you know well Florida state could come again. he he's not going to take the Florida State job. Why would he go to Tallahassee for that job and yeah he 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 would have access to a little bit more talent, yeah, that's true, but like you said, they're getting talent on this roster, they're playing in the coastal at this point, and living in Chapel Hill in a state that he's he he really likes. And in a position where he's coaching for a coach that he really likes, and in a program that has more money. Why would, why make that move? That's not, that's not something that's going to happen anytime soon. The one, the one place that I would have some concern about is USC could throw a lot more money at him. And, you know, knowing how Urban Meyer works, he's, he's right now already trying to assemble his staff. For that USC job, when he gets to take that over after this year. And he likes to poach those top young coordinators after he's taken his year long retirement or two year retirement to get a, uh, to, to, to do TV work and analyze all the assistants that he's going to want to replace the ones that, that, uh, he'd lost later on in his, in his stay as a, as a head coach the prior time. And so, you know, Bateman will be one of the first phone calls. Urban will make, I'm sure, but I don't. If if I'm Bateman, I I'd rather coach for Mac Brown than than Urban Meyer, and I'd rather live in Chapel Hill than L.A. So, and 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 I I, you know I think the vision for what you can do in Chapel Hill is such that, just thinking as a coach, I I I'd, I'd be wanting to stay for a little bit, see what I can do here, and you know I'm not in a hurry to to go get anything other than a really good head coaching job. You don't just go and take. Is it better to be the the defense a highly paid defensive coordinator for a successful team, or to be say the head coach at Ole Miss? Because you're only going to be the head coach at Ole Miss for four or five years before you get fired, <laughs> right? Yeah, so absolutely. if you're thinking about this, you're you can make almost as good. A, I mean, you're you're making half the money as a defensive coordinator at, at Carolina, but you're winning, and you're living in a place that you like at a certain point that that money matters a little bit less than the headaches that come with dealing with all that stuff at programs that you're just not going to have the same success for. So you wait out for a really good head coaching job or you just stay at whatever place you can really have success as a coordinator uh, will be. Now the, the, the other thing on that, it, it's not just Bubba Cunningham and it's not just the, the, the boosters. If I'm Mac Brown, I'm already thinking about what Dabo Sweeney did, and, and Mac knows this, knows how this worked. When Dabo, when Clemson didn't have or wasn't going to give basically the money to pay the coordinators that he wanted, that was Chad Morris and, uh, and uh, Venables, to pay them a well above market to keep them there, Dabo walked into the, into the, uh, into the AD's office and said, I want less money you need to pay me less (laughs) like what it's like but every dollar that you take out of my paycheck you're putting into my coordinator pool because i got to pay these guys and if i'm matt brown he already gave him a deal in terms of they're not paying him as much as as some you know certainly as as a head coach with the national championship ring would be making anywhere else he wanted this job and was willing to to take a little less to do it but if I'm Matt Brown, does making 3.5 or whatever he's making, 3.2, uh, does, that, does that make as big a difference for me in terms of quality of life as, you know what, I'm going to take a $750,000 pay cut or even a million dollar pay cut. And I want that million to go to, <laughs> to, go to my coordinator pool so that I can make sure that I, I don't lose, say, Jay Bateman. And that's something I'm thinking about doing. If if it if it came down to it, I'd be walking over to Bateman's house and asking, "Okay, look, I know they're offering more than what the what you know the Carolina Boosters have put on the table, but how much more? And what is it? What's it going to take to get you there? Because heck, I'll I'll pull it out of my own paycheck. I w- I would be thinking that way if I'm Mac, because again, I think that this staff, as composed, can get them competing for championships. And if you think that. There's not a bunch of those guys out there. So you make sure that you hang on to them. And I think Mac not only thinks that, but knows that one thing, one other thing before I close this lengthy monologue, I do want to also bring up, uh, I think, I think Phil Longo deserves a lot of credit. We, we've talked a lot about Bateman on this, on this podcast, but I think Longo also deserves a lot of credit for how he handled Making sure that this game that the that the game plan was really well composed and and that that the play calling was handled very well over the course of this game to where Sam Howell was not put in bad situations against a defense that has been very opportunistic and has forced turnovers and the other thing is they the thing that maybe most impressed me about. Uh, about how Longo went about this game is it would have been really easy at different points in this game to get a little impatient, just like Clemson's coordinators did. Clemson, I thought they, and yeah, when you look at the raw numbers on who how who ran how much, it actually came out pretty similar. But just in terms of the flow of the game and when the run plays were called and all this, I thought Longo did a really terrific job staying patient. And saying this is what we're gonna do, and we're gonna stick with it. And they stuck with what they were with what they felt like they could do. And as an air raid guy, it's just so easy to start trying to toss it around, especially after Howell has early success. And that would have been a recipe to lose this game. But they they stuck with what they what they were able to do, stayed patient, emphasized taking advantage of, of of some things on the interior for Clemson, ran the football, shortened the game. And, you know, you don't get a lot of praise for scoring 20 points in a game in modern football as, as a coordinator. Everybody, you know, everybody wants to praise you when you score 45 or, or 50. But that was a really well-coached game from Phil Longo and, and a really well-called game. And there were also times where you could see, I think maybe they were worried that, that Clemson was was stealing signals uh second half, he he actually walked out there a lot and was giving Howell the play calls orally to make sure that there was no interference there if that was a, a signal stealing thing. Or the other thing I think was going on there, in some cases, he was giving Howell the reads. He was making sure like, make sure you're looking at this. When you know, make sure I want you to hand it off. You know, I, I know I'm calling a read play, but this has got to be handed off. It's that stuff that you're doing and making sure that the freshman is making the right decision across the board and just a little bit of that extra coaching I thought made a big big difference and and again I want to tip my cap to Phil Longo for the way that that he coached his side of the ball and I think that was
2: also that also deserves some praise. Indeed I, I'm glad you brought that up I thought it was interesting to see the interactions the, the conversations they were having during the the breaks and during the play calling or or during the series is when they had opportunity to actually speak about it. But I'm going to let you close the show. How does Carolina capitalize on uh, what they put out there yesterday? You're going to Georgia Tech, a place that's tough to play, a place that uh you know, Georgia Tech's terrible. But we want to uh, if you're Carolina, we want to go down there and handle our business. Is it a tough thing for Carolina to do? Do you think or do you think it's going to be An easy pickup for this coaching staff to get these these boys ready to play at the uh, in Atlanta against a team that's quite frankly brutal, but they're still a P five university.
0: Well, the one thing about uh, Georgia Tech is actually in past defense, they're not that bad. You know, they they are not uh, a Clemson or, you know, somebody like that on the back end, but they're not bad in pass defense where they have trouble is in run defense. So if, if I'm Phil Longo, um, I'm, uh, running Javante Williams and Michael Carter and Antonio Williams, like the whole game against Georgia tech. I I just don't think, um, that Georgia tech is going to be able to stop North Carolina from running the ball. Um, so, I mean, as far as that side of the equation, um, you know, I think you can look at it that way, but if you're talking about getting, uh, North Carolina up to play Georgia tech going on the road and, you know, they've had three losses in a row now. And I don't think, North Carolina players are going to have much of a morale problem coming off of the Clemson win of the Clemson loss, rather. Um, maybe I said that because it feels like a win, but um, so I, I you know I think it's going to be really easy to talk to the team this week and say, "See what we're, look what we're capable of doing." Look how we played yesterday. We're capable of doing that week in and week out. We just got to be more consistent. And when you go down to Georgia Tech, you got to pretend they've got orange and purple on and, and play them that way. And if we can do that, if we can you know, give that sort of effort that we gave um, against Clemson, then as long as you give me that effort, I, I don't have any worries. I don't have any concerns. We'll be fine. Uh, so, um, you know, that part of it is, I think will be pretty easy. Uh, looking ahead to Georgia tech. One thing I did want to say following up on what Jason was talking about in terms of Phil Longo, um, you know, you know, All the talk about Phil Longo is he got the job at at UNC as offensive coordinator. He's an air raid guy. Um, You know, he wants to go really fast. He's a tempo guy. He wants to go hurry up, no huddle. Uh, Those are his, you know, go-to ways of playing offense. And then you look at the way he played yesterday. That was a deliberate totally game planned thought about way of approaching offense and from a common sense perspective is absolutely how you would do it. What, what is the virtue really of a hurry up, huddle, uh, tempo offense, or one of them is, uh, that you prevent the uh, defense from substituting out, um, as often as they would like. Well, with Clemson, they don't worry about substituting out. Their starters are good enough to play against just about any offense you want to put on the field. Uh, so that virtue of uh, you know, a tempo, hurry up, no huddle offense kind of declines. And on top of that, well, you want to go really fast so you can tire the, the Clemson defense out. You're not doing that either. You might as well say they have 22 starters on defense. You know they go deep, so you're you're not just just because you can wear out starters or you know cause them to sweat a little bit doesn't mean you gain any huge advantage uh, that way. So they very very deliberately, as you talked about, Tommy, they huddled a lot. Um, you know they were very deliberate in their tempo. Uh, they definitely didn't go nearly as fast as Phil Longwell would probably want to go against Georgia tech next week. But it's that, that thing that really encourages me is that they had a, as Jason talked about earlier, a very specific offensive game planned for playing this specific team being Clemson. And it always worked. It got really, really close. So, I, I, that's the other point I wouldn't want to get lost. And and I would think that against Georgia tech next week, instead of 60 plays, we may see North Carolina run 75 to 80 plays. We'll just see how it plays out. But that ability to specifically game plan for an opponent is something that,
2: you know, if you really love the game of football, you just love seeing. Jason, I'll let you give the last uh, comments. The. Um, Something that's interesting is we've talked about Jay Bateman a lot. And, you know, Brent Venables is probably the defensive coordinator in the country. And he basically called Carolina's play on the two-point conversion, led Clemson uh, to have the opportunity to stop that play. He made his money on that play call at the end of the game and got Clemson out of there. Like Dabo Sweeney said afterwards, a win is a win, whether it's by one or 50. Uh, Bateman's that type guy so just close the show um, with your last remaining comments and we'll get out of here there's been a lot of feathers plucked like Buck has to say but I wanted you to have the opportunity to close it up
1: yeah I just want to actually read two quotes from co-offensive coordinator Tony Elliott after the game that I think says more than I can I can say about what 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 you're talking about with Bateman he says uh first of all about the false starts. He said, it's tough on those guys sometimes, especially when they're stemming and moving. I think you've got to give UNC credit. They were making some move calls and moving right before the snap. And when you're on the silent count, you don't know when the ball is going to be snapped. And that was critical because again, a lot of those penalties took them from third and two to third and seven. They're getting the third and two. They ain't getting the third and seven. Or they didn't get the third and seven most of the time. Well, that's, so- he said it. Next one. They challenged us with some different looks. I'll tell you what, I got to tip my cap to Jay Bateman and what he does on defense. I lost a lot of sleep on his protection plan because he does so many multiple things on third down. And we don't have history to study. We're going off four games. Well, when an opposing offensive coordinator talks like that about what you did, you got the better of him, And, uh... <laughs> That, that's that's like you said that's earning your money so uh yeah I'll, I'll just i'll just go ahead and wrap it with that
2: yeah like i said to open the show carolina did everything right except win the game clemson 21 20 over carolina i think how they play against georgia tech and how they handle that game will speak volumes about the trajectory of the program for the rest of the season buck and jason it's always fun to do these podcasts i, I have to admit It's never been fun doing them after a loss. Uh, This one was different. Maybe that bodes well for things to come for Carolina football. Thanks, boys. Thank
0: Thank you, Tommy. And Jason is always good.
1: Always fun. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.